All right, now, into holy things. We are, are in Psalm 119, just to start off the lesson this morning. I'm calling the lesson, Oh, How I Love Your Torah. Hey, do, you, do you know the word Torah? Are you familiar with that word? Um, in the English version of the translation, uh, translation of the Bible, it usually is translated as the word law. I'm not sure if that's the best translation, but it's what we've got to work with. So if you hear me use the word Torah this morning, Torah, law, that's the law of the Lord is what I'm talking about. Um, God's law to mankind, specifically to ancient Israel. Here's what it says in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your Torah, your law. I meditate on it all day long. Now, years ago, when I first was reading through the Bible, even after I knew God, I really didn't understand this passage. What's not to understand, Steve? Well, how do you love God's law? How do you love law? You shall not drive over 45. Oh, I love that. (laughs) And I'm going to meditate on it all day. Don't trim the corners of your beards. You know, that's in God's law. So loving God's law, you know, wear fringes on the corner of your garments. Don't eat pork. How do you love that? I didn't get it at all. Now, over the years, I grew, I matured, I changed my perspective on things, and I learned God's word differently, and I realized what my mistake was. And the English word didn't help, mind you. But my mistake was, I distilled God's Torah down to a list of do's and don'ts, a list of rules, a list of laws. But God's word, God's Torah, is much richer than that. It includes do's and don'ts, but it's got so much more. In fact, the word law, I, I wish we could come up with a better one. It includes law, but it's, it's more than that. It's, well, look, listen how the International Standard Version puts it. How I love your instruction. Every day I meditate, da, 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 da. So it doesn't use the word law. It broadens it to God's guidance. Oh, if only we could use the word guidance instead. It's close, though. It gives you the idea. It's the heart and mind of God for humanity so that we can live better lives and be closer to him. Now put that into a word. Torah. But law doesn't just quite do that for us in English. So what's to love? Torah gives us the moral foundation of civilization. Torah teaches us right from wrong. It teaches us about justice, fairness, goodness. And it teaches us about love. Now, I don't have the time or the desire to go into a sister conversation. But I have to mention it because I know it's going to run through some of your minds this morning. I thought we were no longer under the law, Steve. The Bible specifically says we're no longer under the law. Yes. But the Bible also specifically says, and I quote, love your neighbors, you love yourself which is a quote from the Torah. So there's this, we have to grow and broaden in our understanding of the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament. But for a lot of people, a lot of churches, the Old Testament, even in the name old, is something that we don't have anything to do with anymore. It's obsolete. We're not interested in it. Yes, it's God's word. But the mindset is more like it was God's word, not that it is God's word. I think you're going to find this morning a a bit of an insight 
into our relationship to the Torah. At least I hope you do. How many of you have been going through the reading, the daily reading schedule? Let me see your hands. Ooh, good, a lot of you. Uh, if you're new with us, I'd encourage you to pick one of these up. We're reading through the Bible together. Every day, there's a reading for you, and you check it off. And then it's, come Sunday, I'm going to teach on something you read that week. And that's what I'm doing this morning. Some of what I'm going to share with you this morning came exactly from your readings this morning. So, this week, you read... An introduction, I'll say, you were introduced to the heart of Torah, to see God's wisdom, God's justice, God's fairness for humanity. I'll give you some examples of what I mean when I say the Torah is about fairness, justice, kindness, and the moral foundation for civilization. Back in ancient Babylon, if somebody stole something, a just punishment was considered to be death. You could kill somebody, according to the law, for stealing. Now, I don't like theft any more than anybody else, but I think that's a bit too much. Loaf of bread, life. It's unbalanced. It's not just. It's not fair. It's not moral. So what is a just punishment for theft? And who's to decide? Obviously, when you let man alone, without God's guidance, he can go berserk. Well, the Muslims made it not nearly as bad. They, they made it a step better. No, just cut off their hand. Well, I think even though it's better than the Babylonians, it's still not just. It, it's too much. It's an extreme. It's not fair. And in our country, maybe we're better still, but we're still not fair and just. What do you do in our country? Somebody steals, throw them in jail for six months, and maybe fine them $5,000 or whatever, right? Well, so you, somebody steals from you, and then you get the privilege of paying for their meals, their housing, their babysitting, and their medical care for the next six months to a year. They just stole from you again. That's not fair or just. And they might be fined if they can afford to pay it. And if they are fined and they can afford to pay it, you don't get the money, the one they stole from. The courts get it. Our system may be better than Babylon's, it may be better than the Islam, but it's still not right. We don't know fairness without God's guidance. Let me give you an example of something that caught my attention. I was watching Blue Bloods this week. Anybody like Blue Bloods? Yeah, it's a great TV show. I, I really enjoy it. Uh, probably one of my favorites right now. And this was from like a couple weeks ago, actually. There was this um, heroin going around in New York that was killing people. And a couple of the you know, three of the commissioners were in conversation, the head commissioner and two of his under-commissioners. And they're talking about this problem, and the head commissioner says, we've got to put a stop to this. And one of the under-commissioners said something like this, hey, man, you stick a needle in your arm, what do you expect? And the head commissioner says, you expect to get high, not dead. Ah, it's the same idea about justice and fairness. I mean, you're right. It's stupid to stick a needle in your arm and fill yourself up with drugs. It's stupid. But it's unfair or unjust to expect death from that. That's too much. People are killing people. We've got to put a stop to it, even if it means we're saving heroin addicts, because your idea under commissioner is unjust. It's too much. So what is just for theft? What is ju a just way of dealing with a thief? Co execution? No. 
Cutting off the hand? No. Imprisonment and fine? No. Let me tell you what the Torah says. Brilliant. God's word. Listen. Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Verse 4. If the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. So execution, not just. Cutting off a hand, not just. Throwing somebody in prison and taking care of them for the next six months or six years, not just. Them making restitution, that's just. The fine goes, as it were, to the person you stole from. So you get the deterrence, because now they've got to pay four back or five back of what they stole, and the person who was t- taken advantage of, harmed, they get restitution. That's fair. That's just. No burden on the state, no burden on the community. The judge makes a decision, boom, you've got to pay back four sheep. Done. Beautiful. Love it. Now you can start to see how somebody could say, oh, how I love your Torah. I can meditate on it all the day. And speaking about meditating on it, not only to learn it and to grow, you know, the more you study God's Torah, the more this sense of fairness and justice becomes a part of your nature. You absorb God's character into your own. And then you start to know what justness, fairness, righteousness is. But if you're a judge or even a parent or a pastor or a boss, you might be able to apply these things. What if, for example, in in the church, let's say, you know, Charles comes up to me one day and says, um, Jose's dog broke out of the yard again and tore up all his tulips again. They come to me about this, which is good. They're coming to me instead of the courts. That's, that's a good thing. So that's easy. Jose's got a tulip garden. Go take the best of his tulips to replace yours. Whoa. Done. Jose's like, but those are my best tulips. Yeah, hope you learned your lesson. Won't happen next time. Study the Torah. You take its principles, and you begin to learn to apply them to your day-to-day circumstances. The tulip one you'll see will be coming up in a moment. I think you'll see the uh, parallel and where I got it from. In the Torah, both the criminal and the victim are considered. The criminal is punished. The victim gets restitution and justice. It's a beautiful thing. The book of Romans says this. So then the Torah, the law, is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. This is what the New Testament says about the Torah. It is holy and righteous and good. Now you can begin to see why. So we read portions from the Torah about purity, sexual purity, justice, fairness, integrity, these types of things. And we also read from Luke this week. And the Luke passage with Zacchaeus actually ties in to the Torah passage that I just read to you. Let's see if you can get that. I'll read it to you again. This is what you read at home. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead 
and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's stop there for just a second. In this culture, a mature man running is undignified. You don't do that. We don't do it much in our culture either. Grown men just don't run. Kids, they run. We're too. No, we don't run. We're cool. We walk. This guy was obviously a grown man because he was chief tax collector. He ran. His dignity meant nothing to him in light of the potential of seeing Jesus, which is way cool. Furthermore, he climbed up in a tree to do it. How many mature men do you know will climb up into a tree to catch a good view of a parade? Joe's saying, I would. (laughs) There's not a lot, and not in that culture. But Zacchaeus was short, and he knew the only way he was going to catch a glimpse of Jesus was by running up ahead of the crowd and climbing into a tree. Nothing was going to stop Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he was chief tax collector. That meant in Rome, he had social standing, but he was a Jew, and that was his social standing as a Jew. He was a pariah, scum of the earth. Jews hated tax collectors because they worked for Rome, and they often extorted money and abused people to get their due. So here we got nobody's friend Zacchaeus running up, hanging out in a tree, and then look what happens. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. He walked over to the tree where Zacchaeus was and looked at him. Zacchaeus probably like, oh, I met the master. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down now. I need to stay at your house today. What? He was just hoping to get a glimpse. And now the master, the rabbi, has just invited himself to his house. (laughs) But he's not offended. He's thrilled to death. Remember what I told you about the social status? Look, it's right here in the text. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people who saw this began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, that's what we need to do. We need to criticize the Son of God and correct him when he makes mistakes. Oh, these people, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know who he was, but they knew not to. They shouldn't have been judgmental. Jesus had said elsewhere, the sick don't need a doctor. I mean, the well don't need a doctor, only the sick do. I'm the doctor. I, if anybody needs me, it's Zacchaeus. But these people were too self-righteous, too self-centered. Jesus didn't care what people thought. He went to the scum and ministered to him. And look what happened. First of all, I think I presented to you that Zacchaeus had a good heart already. He, he undignified, ran up into a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. There's something different about this man. Nobody else did this. You don't hear this about anybody else. Zacchaeus was passionate about meeting Jesus. Boy, let me ask you, have you ever been passionate about meeting Jesus? Sometimes you might wonder why some people know Jesus and some people don't. Some people say, oh, I went to church, but there was nothing there for me. Scripture says, God said this to ancient Israel, you will seek for me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Seeking for God doesn't mean you'll find God. Seeking for God with all your heart means you will definitely find God. That verse, seek with all your heart, find me, that's how I got saved. I was just passionate about finding God. I wasn't sure if he was there or not, but I was passionately looking. 
And I found Zacchaeus was passionately looking for Jesus. And Jesus went right up to him and said, I'm eating at your house tonight. It's almost like, you know, in this spiritual magical realm, Zacchaeus was a savior magnet. And they had to be drawn to each other. Zacchaeus stood up. Oh, they all muttered that he was a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Stop right there. Half? 50%? All God asked for was 10%. He's going way above and beyond. I'm having a hard time thinking of him as evil right now and as a scummy person. He runs, he climbs a tree, he hosts Jesus, and immediately offers to give the poor half of everything he has. Who does that? Scummy people don't do that. Good people do that. No, it gets even better. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, remember, that's what tax collectors were known for, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this, too, this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that was lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but he just got found. He went looking for Jesus and Jesus went looking for him. They found each other and Zacchaeus got saved. And immediately his life and his heart were transformed. And he knew his biggest problem right now is money. And he showed his true heart he immediately gave half of it away to the poor and offered to make restitution four times to anybody he's, he wronged. Where did he get that four-time restitution from? You heard the Torah this morning. He was Jew, a Jew. He knew the Torah. Now, he might have not applied it just right, but again, you meditate on it, you think about it, and you apply it where it fits. He must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Four sheep for the sheep. Zacchaeus obviously knew this passage and said, if I've cheated anybody, it's like theft in his mind. I will pay them back four times. Wow. The Talmud, Jewish source of wisdom, says this, quote, the repentance of shepherds and of collectors and of publicans, which are specifically tax collectors, is said to be very difficult. So in ancient days... Shepherds were on the low end of the social pole, and so were tax collectors. These, these people are the scum of the earth. They can't be saved. Now you know why this story is featured so prominently in the Bible. Just like everything else, people always get it wrong, but God's got it right. Other examples of justice from our Exodus reading. Exodus 22.5 said this, If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard, and lets them stray, and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. That's where I got my tulips from. Right there. See, we might think, in one sense, we're not under the law, which is true, but in another, how could you not use this as your source of wisdom and guidance and fair play? This is brilliant. I love this. Exodus 22.6. If a fire breaks out and spreads... The one who started the fire must make restitution. It's that simple. I was just burning weeds in my backyard. 
I didn't suspect it was going to spread to my neighbor's garden and kill all their food. I didn't know. It's unfortunate you didn't know. That was $10,000 worth of food pay up. That simple. You don't have to think about it. You don't even need to be wise. You just need to read what God said to do and do it. It's beautiful. But what would happen in our culture? I don't know. With that, it might happen that way. Torah teaches us about how to treat people also. Not just about laws and justice and right and wrong, but how to treat people, how to be human to them. Exodus 22, 21 through 24. Don't mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt. Don't take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry, and my anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. Here's what I understand the saying. If you abuse widows and orphans, you're going to end up having a family full of them. So don't abuse them. In fact, just the opposite. Take care of them. It's kind of like an eye for an eye, isn't it? God says, if this is how you're going to treat people, that's what's going to happen in your own family. You see, you're thinking, well, Steve, of course you wouldn't take advantage of a widow or an orphan or oppress an alien. Of course you wouldn't. Of course, because you've been raised in a culture that's been influenced by the Bible that's taught that it's wrong. But if you were raised in ancient Babylon or ancient Egypt, where that's exactly what you did, you need a whole new perspective on life. And that's what the Torah is. It's like morality 101 for a world that didn't have it. And God says, don't take advantage of of aliens. How did you like it when you were in Egypt? Remember what they did to you? They made you all slaves. They worked you hard. They killed your babies. Oh, yeah, that's how they treated us. So don't you treat people that way. This... uh, portion of the Torah where it talks about widows and orphans, it's kind of referenced by the Apostle James. Listen, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So here's the Apostle James referencing this passage of Scripture from the Torah. He loved it too. He applied it too, and he wanted the church to apply it too. Remember, Torah teaches us right from wrong. Torah teaches us about justice, fairness, and goodness. And Torah teaches us about love. Love, Steve? Oh, yeah. Listen, Exodus 23, 4. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure to help him with it. Wow, really? So somebody hates me. They're my enemy. And I see their donkey wandering down the street. (laughs) A little donkey. I'm thinking of Shrek's donkey. I'm free, I'm free. (laughs) Running down the street. What do you got to do? You got to take that donkey back to the person that hates you. Now what's going to happen? Awkward moment. Hey, found your donkey wandering down the street. Thought I'd bring it home to you. Yeah, awkward moment. Thank you. Or it might even be, what do you want for it? 
Nothing. It's your donkey. I just saw it walking down the street. I thought I'd bring it back to you. Oh, you're going to want something from me in return, aren't you? No. It's the right thing to do. God told me to do it, so I'm doing it. Here's your donkey. Have a nice day. Now he's going to go home thinking, wow. And maybe this guy who hates you doesn't hate you so much anymore because he just got you your $10,000 stolen car back from Nogales. Jesus might have had this very thing in mind when he said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. See, when Jesus said that, a lot of people think, oh, what a brilliant idea. That's so new. That wasn't new. Jesus is the one who gave the Ten Commandments and the law in the first place. So when he told people indirectly through Moses and the angels to if your enemies ox falls under its load, help it up. If it gets lost, bring it home. And love your neighbors, you love yourself. Back in the days of Moses. And then when he came, you know, 2,000 years ago and told people to apply it, I guess we had lost our way because we're like, oh, that's new. No, it's not new. That's old. That's Torah. We had gotten so wrapped up in the do's and the don'ts, like I did, that we had forgotten the whole heart of the thing. People whose heart are right with God don't get upset when somebody ministers to a tax collector, they rejoice. I hope now you can say with me, like the psalmist does in Psalm 119.97, Oh, how I love your Torah. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I do love your Torah. I thank you for its lessons on goodness, love, justice, holiness, fairness, goodness. It's just so wonderful. And I pray that as we read through it together over these next few months, that we at Book of Life Community Church will change, that we'll grow, that we'll mature, we'll become more just ourselves, more fair, more knowledgeable of what is right, what is wrong, and what is holy. Lord, open our hearts and our minds, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.